And because he delights in us like a father with his children, he stoops down, he kneels down, he comes down to be with us. And what I'm trying to prove to you is that this is his mode of operation. This is his MO. He always comes down. And as we learned last week, that he created the heavens and the earth, the first, second, and third heaven. And he doesn't dwell in the third heaven because that's his home. No, the heavens can't contain our God. But he chooses to come down to dwell with us in the third heaven because he lifts us up that we might live there. So he's always coming down to us. I believe it was Jacob who saw the vision when he went to sleep of a ladder that was coming from heaven and it was touching the earth and angels were circling around it. And again, the beauty is our God has come down to touch the earth so that we may climb back up the ladder, which is him, his son, to get to heaven. Oh my, he comes down to us. And over and over and over again in the Bible, we see this about this mighty God who comes down to hurting people. God created the first earth for us, we've been learning. And he gave man dominion over the earth. Man didn't create the earth, God did, and he created it for us. And at various times, he comes down to dwell with us here in the first earth. And we've been learning that God will create a new earth. And when he creates this new earth, just like with the first earth, he will create it for us to enjoy, to inhabit, to have dominion. And even with that second earth, he will come down to dwell with us there. So the new earth will be, and this is the change of thought, the new earth will be the blessed eternal state for all believers from throughout the ages. So we'll live on the new earth. Uh, our ancestors who passed away, they're in heaven, which is up there, but heaven is going to come down to the new earth. And people say, what are we going to be doing in heaven or in the eternal state? Well, if we think that or, or believe that the new earth, which will be made out of the ashes of the old earth, that a lot of what we're doing now, we'll do then, but we'll do it in perfect bodies, on a perfect planet, with other perfect people, worshiping a perfect God in a perfect environment, oh, man, it, it will blow your mind. And when I start thinking about where we're going and who we're going to be with, oh, man, death just continues to lose its power and its sting every day because I'm not living for this life. I'm waiting and living for the life to come. So that's why Paul could say to die is gain, to be with Christ is far better and so we don't want to be on this side when loved ones pass and we're mourning to the point where we don't have hope. No, we mourn with pe like people who have hope. Why? Because our God is alive and he will make all things new. So read with me in Revelation chapter 21. Why he loves us like this, I do not know, but I receive it and I thank him. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, we've read this last week, we'll read it again. And John said, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. So he's using like human terminology to speak of the earth. Humans pass away. And when we pass away, uh, we go back to the ground from which we came out of, we become ashes. But there comes a time, as we know, that the Lord will resurrect our ashes and connect them with our spirit, and we'll get a new body and we'll be with the Lord forever. And so the earth that we're in now will go through, if you will, a resurrection of sorts.
where after it is destroyed by fire and the ashes remain, God will use the ashes to create a new earth out of the old one, just like he creates a new person out of us from the old ashes. And so the first earth passes away, and we know because of fire. Verse 1 goes on to say, also there was no more sea in this new earth. Theologians divide over this. What does this mean? Well, when we look at this earth, a great majority of this planet is covered by water. Great majority. So when you look at the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean, so much of the earth is covered by water. But apparently in the new earth, uh, there won't be any sea, or at least there won't be any, listen to this, huge bodies of water. There will be bodies of water because there will be rivers. We see that in chapter 22, the river of life. And rivers come out of lakes. They can even go into oceans and seas. But here's the idea. For Jewish people, the Hebrew people, that in their customs and in their traditions, the sea sometimes spoke of evil. It spoke of resistance. It spoke of darkness and travail. And so the idea that John is saying, if there will not be any literal sea, there will definitely be bodies of water. One thing for sure in this new earth, the waters, there's nothing to be afraid about. There's nothing to fear as far as the sea is concerned. Verse 2, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Remember, there's, heaven is loud. Some of y'all were like, man, that music, they were crunk up in here. It was loud. It was just getting you ready for heaven. And so there's a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Don't miss that. God is going to tabernacle with men. Where? On the new earth. God is going to dwell with them. Where? On the new earth. God himself will be with them and be their God. Where? On the new earth. Three times in this one verse, you see that God is with us, with us, with us. That he tabernacles, that he dwells, which is really the same thing. Because as we'll see in a moment, the word tabernacle means to dwell. So God is going to dwell, tabernacle, abide, remain with us, with us, with us. Where? On the new earth. Verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So what this says to me is that when some of us, if not many of us, go from this side to that side, when we cross over into the threshold of eternal life, into the presence of God, some of us will face God, meet God as believers, and we still have sorrow in our hearts. Some of us will die without that prayer request being answered. Some of us will die with so much pain in our body that when we meet the Lord, that he's going to minister to us and the pain will be alleviated. Some of us will meet the Lord with tears in our eyes. So some of us are travailing. And when we think about the biblical record, even the historical record, people dying for their faith in God. Some people are going to meet God with tears in their eyes. And some of us here, we're crying now over things we're asking God to fix. And guess what? 
in his sovereignty. He just might not fix it here. That doesn't mean he's not good. That doesn't mean he's not faithful. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. There's something he wants you to experience through the tears and the pain now. But one thing's for sure. When you see him, and if you see him with tears in your eyes or pain in your body, he will minister to you. He will personally wipe those tears from your eyes. I think that's a good payoff because if he doesn't wipe them now, if he doesn't fix it now, I do know one day when I'm going to be with God, he will personally minister to me in the midst of all the thousands upon thousands upon thousands, knowing my story, he'll minister and wipe those tears out of my eyes. My God, this gives us hope. This gives us hope. So God, we saw last week, he came down in creation. The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. We saw last week that God came down to create man, had his hands in the dirt, forming man from the dust of the ground. He came down. He spoke everything into existence, but when he made man, he came down and put his hands in the dirt. He's that personable. He touches us still. He came down in the garden and walked with them in the cool of the day. And then we concluded last week that he came down in the exodus when he told Moses that I see the oppression of my people that they've been suffering for 400 years, which meant that there were generations that died without seeing deliverance occur. But when they crossed over by faith, they experienced deliverance in the life to come. But God said, after 400 years, that's enough. It's time, Moses, get up. I've heard the oppression of my people. I have seen their tears. And he said to Moses, I have come down to deliver them, and I am sending you to Pharaoh. So God's saying, you're going to work with me in this thing. I'm going to utilize you and use you. And that's what Moses said, Lord, I can't go. I can't talk. And God says, it's not about you. It's about who you're with. And it's not about you. You tell them I am has sent you. It's not about you. It's about me. Tell them my name is I am that I am. Go in that power and that authority to say let my people go. Well, today as we conclude this part, I'll do my best. Part two, the God who comes down. Today I'm going to look at how God came down in the Ark of the Covenant. How God came down in the tabernacle, which is also known as the tent of meeting how God came down to be with his people in the temple, and then finally, how God came down to be with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, he's the God who comes down. If you want good news, get ready, y'all. Buckle up. The first thing we're going to see is that the Ark of the Covenant, God came down through the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25. If you don't have your Bible, the scriptures will be on the screen. Exodus chapter 25. He comes down, and he came down in the Ark of the Covenant. So what is the Ark of the Covenant? Hang on in here, and let's check it out. Exodus 25, verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out, you shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Now, verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat, which is another way of saying lid or top, of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width, and you shall make two cherubim, 
or angels of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. Verse 20. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat or facing down. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark or the box. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you or the, the tablets, the word of God. And there, verse 22, I will what? Meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So God is saying, I'm going to meet with you over that holy box. My presence is going to come down from heaven and it's going to be over the mercy seat. Now, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that gives you some idea of what this ark may have looked like. A box made of wood, but overlaid with gold, with two angels having their wings stretched out towards one another with their head down as a sign of worship and a sign of the holiness of God. So God says, I'll meet with the people over that box. He prescribed that. They didn't come up with that. He came up with that because he wanted uh, uh, a way for the people to meet with him and for them to meet with him. So this ark, listen to this, it represents the presence of God. The transcendent, immutable, invisible, unchangeable, powerful God says, I'm going to come down and meet with you over this box. And so this box represents his presence. Secondly, it represents his power. Because with God present among them, the songwriters would say, rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. So the nation of Israel always had an unfair, unseen advantage when they would fight the, the neighboring nations who had more people and more power than them, and they could not prevail because God was on the side of the people. And there are many stories in the Old Testament that talks about that. But thirdly, this art represents the provision of God. In what way? The provision of salvation. Why? Because in other portions of Scripture, the high priest would go in before the Lord and we'll see next in the tabernacle of the tent of meeting into the most holy place. You have this holy of holies where, you know, there's this tent within the tent where one would go in to meet with God. And then there was the most holy place where you would go behind the, the veil and the Ark of the Covenant would be sitting there. And when that priest would go in once a year, he would take the blood of a lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat or the lid and the blood was for atonement or to cover the sins of the nation. So God gave provision through this ark by the sprinkling of blood over the lid that had the two angels there and the presence of God. Oh, my goodness. Now, now I'm going to give you a fast forward real quick. Now, when Jesus died, his body was placed in a borrowed tomb, was it not? And the Bible says that when James and John, or, Jay, or John and Peter, looked into the tomb, it was empty. And when they looked into the tomb, the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 12, 
there were two angels sitting at the place where Jesus' body used to lay. Two angels sitting there. And the Bible says, one at the head and one at the foot. So the angels are at the place where his blood-soaked body was placed. So for him to get up as he did, there was blood still on the pallet. And the angels were there. You have in that passage of scripture in the New Testament the fulfillment of everything the Ark of the Covenant stood for and that we don't have to have anybody go in anymore once a year on our behalf with the blood of a lamb. Jesus went in, passed the veil, the veil tore. He gave his life. The angels were there saying, it's done, it's fulfilled, it's paid in full. And so, ah, y'all, boy, watch out. That's why we worship him. That's why we serve him. And so, therefore, the ark now represents the person of God found in Jesus Christ. Let me run it back. This ark represents the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God through the blood, but then ultimately the person of God through Jesus. Let me take it a little bit deeper for you. What was that ark made out of? Wood and gold. You had a natural thing uh, covered over by a precious thing. Wood, gold. God, man. Jesus was man. He was God. Deity married to humanity. Gold with wood. You keep going. The, the whole book is about Jesus. And if we open up our eyes, we'll see Jesus everywhere jumping off the pages and all the types. But it doesn't end there. We go to the tabernacle, which is also called the tent of meeting. Exodus chapter 40. I want you to get this stuff. Before we start talking about the new bodies we're going to have and all that stuff, we're going to have a good time with that. But if we don't understand that he came down, the, the new earth concept won't make sense to us. I, we, I just keep thinking we're going up there. Yeah, some of us go up there, and we're going to come back down to a new earth down here and live forever. And it's inconsistent, it's consistent rather, with God's mode of operation. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 we now have this, this tabernacle or the tent of meeting, which was a portable sanctuary where God would dwell and meet with his people. It was a portable sanctuary. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this glory cloud represented the presence of God amongst his people, just like he said, I would come down and be over the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant. He also says, I'm coming down so that the people could see that God was with them. They would see this cloud or this smoke that would be translated over the years as Shekinah, the Shekinah glory uh, that he would come and dwell. And even during the day when they would uh, be at the tent of meeting, God would be with them as a pillar of cloud. But then when they would pick up the tent and he would lead them to the next place as their shepherd, he would be a pillar of fire by night. So his presence, he came down to be with his people, to lead his people, and to dwell with his people. And so in verse 34, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So you see that right there? He's with them. And, and, and wow, wow, wow. I, I couldn't even talk last week about when he came down on the Mount, Mount Sinai when Moses was get, getting the Ten Commandments from God. And God came down 
in, in smoke and lightning. And, and, and the people were so afraid. They were like, Moses, please don't let God talk to us. His voice is so loud and booming. It challenges every fiber of our being. So God comes down, and sometimes he just he, he contains his glory. He's a consuming fire. You, you, you can't look at him and live. And so he just, you know, he gives you a little bit. I'm going to come down to let you know I'm with you, and I'm for you. But then there's the tabernacle that goes into the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8. So they, they moved from this tent, this portable tent, into a stable location because once they were able to get into the promised land David said man here I am dwelling in a house of cedar and the ark of the Lord is intense I want to build God a house and God was blessed by his requests because God said I never asked y'all for a house I was content with the tent I never asked for a house but but here's what David okay I'm gonna let a house be built for me but guess what? You won't build it. Your son will build it. Why? David, your hands have shed a whole lot of unholy blood. And I can't have that touch in the holiness of this house. So we're going to let your son Solomon build the house for God. And Solomon, you know, he went way out on that house now. <laughs> you, you, gold? <laughs> the ark? Oh, we got gold doors on this house now. Look at verse 10 of 1 Kings 8. So he completes the house of God. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud, there it is, filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Let's stop right there. His presence was so heavy, so, so overwhelming so awesome, so majestic, so other than anything we've ever experienced that they couldn't even enter into the house to do what their job was. When Moses saw the presence of the Lord, the guy who spoke to God mouth to mouth or face to face, he was like, I can't even. So when people talk about, I saw the Lord this morning, one man talked about, you know, I was in my bathroom shaving, and the Lord came down in my bathroom and started speaking to me. And the question is, did you keep on shaving or did you fall on your face? We, we make trite the power and the presence of God. We, we make it so trivial. Oh, yeah, I saw the Lord. I heard his voice. He spoke to me. Hmm. Well, when God shows up in the Bible, folks scatter, fall down. Don't play with him now. He's to be loved and adored, but he's also to be respected and feared. Ask Uzzah. For those who may not know, Uzzah touched the ark when the oxen stumbled because David was trying to carry the ark into the city, but he didn't do it the biblical way. He did it the David, the worldly way. The Philistines had an ark. I'm going to put, 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 put the ark on a cart just like they did. And they carried it in, and that oxen stumbled. Uzzah did a good thing. He thought, I'm going to hold the ark. And the Bible says that party came to an end. Once he touched that ark, he died right in the presence of all the people. The music. Da, 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 yeah. <laughs> and they put that ark away at Obed-Edom's house in Curia the Jerem. And, and, and they was like, I'm afraid of the Lord. What do I do? Somebody said, open up the Bible and understand how to transport the ark. 
Don't do it the way the world does it. Do it the way he prescribed it. Get holy men, get the poles, put the poles through there, and y'all carry it. Y'all stand a few feet back. Y'all, this is the presence of God amongst the people. So we don't play with his presence. We enjoy his presence, but we don't play. So he, Solomon says, I'm going to build this permanent structure, permanent in quotations, because God is like, okay, I'm going to give y'all a promise here. Okay, I'll dwell in this house, but the minute y'all turn from me, the glory of the Lord will depart from this house, and this house will be open to the attacks of the enemy. So don't trust in this house. Trust in the God of the house. Don't trust in this gold, this mortar, these bricks. Trust in God. Verse 12, Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. He went on later to say in verse 27 that the highest heavens can't contain you, neither can this house that I built for you. So there was this understanding about the majesty and awesomeness of the Most High God. And uh, there would be two sanctuaries because Solomon's sanctuary would be ransacked, robbed, and destroyed by the Babylonians. Then when the Jewish people came out of captivity under Zerubbabel, they built a second temple, but it paled in comparison to the glory of the first temple. So then a few years later, Herod started, because he was a great builder. So he built onto the temple, and he made it elaborate and beautiful and all of that. But Jesus said, I I need to let y'all know that one who's standing among you is greater than the glory that is on that temple. You think that temple is something? Y'all looking at all of its gold and all of its settings and all of that? Jesus said, one greater than the temple is here. Stop worshiping buildings and worship God. Then he went on to say, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it back up. So when they tried him and brought up all the false witnesses, they heard Jesus, but they didn't hear him correctly. And they said, he said, he would destroy this temple. You don't touch this temple. Well, if you were listening to Jesus, he said, I'm here to let y'all know there's coming a time when not one stone will be left on this temple because y'all have turned from God and God is has going to destroy this temple so that you may come back to him because the temple was a distraction, obviously. And so Jesus, he said, y'all, I'm going to raise this temple on the third day. Mm-mm-mm. Well, God came down in the ark, God came down in the tabernacle, and he came down in the temple. And these three things are representations of Jesus Christ. Each one of them, I gave you a little bit with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, These things represent Jesus Christ because ultimately, what's it about? God dwelling with his people. And in the Old Testament, he dwelt with them through the Ark through the tabernacle, and through the temple, but ultimately God dwells with his people through his son. I'm ready to hit this now. Matthew chapter 1. I've been waiting to get here. I've been trying to explain to you so that you can shout with me that, number one, he doesn't leave us alone. He comes to us. He comes down to us. He comes near us. And if you know him, he'll live inside of you. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that those who believe my Father and I will come to him and make our abode with him or her. We will come and be with you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Oh, my. I got to read it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, the Lord is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Call him what he's come to do, which is Savior. 
He will save his people. I just need to know before I go on, is there anybody who's been saved from their sins by Jesus? I just need to see a hand, just one hand, just one witness. That's all. I just want to make sure I'm not by myself. That's all. I'm glad to know I'm not by myself. I've been saved. Oh, thank you. Oh, don't mess with me right now. Oh, he came to save us from our sin. Then verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated. Translated, oh my goodness, not in some abstract buildings or a box that even the enemy could capture the Philistines because God lifted his power off the box. But we're talking about now God's power, his presence, his person incarnate through Jesus Christ. And you will call him Jesus because he'll save us from our sin. Also call him Emmanuel. Why? Because he will be with us. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Oh, man. Oh, man. The devil was messing with me for a long time. This weekend tried to take my son. I said, wait till I get up in that pulpit. Wait till I get up in that pulpit. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, it could have stayed like that, and we give God all the glory, but it didn't stay like that because he had to come down. And in verse 14, let me read, and the word which was with God and the word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt. That's the same root of the word for tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. So when the Jews would walk with the tabernacle, that tent of meeting that was portable, God dwelt with them. He tabernacled. Same word. He dwelt. He tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. It wasn't behind a veil. We didn't have to go in once a year. We could see him, which is why John said in 1 John, I've looked on this glory. I've handled this glory. I've touched this glory. God in the flesh. He's the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And what is he full of? Thank God. He's full of grace and truth. Oh my goodness. Oh. My wife read. Sometime I ask for a sign, you know, Lord, okay, I know where you want me to be, but Gideon asked for a sign or two. You know, Lord, let me know I'm where, where, where you want me to go. So, so I had the scripture, Philippians 2, that I got to talk about because the word became flesh to dwell among us, but ultimately the word became flesh to die for us. So as I flip to Philippians chapter 2, without speaking to my wife this morning about this sermon, she, in the worship service, reads the passage that I plan to read during my ser sermon because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter is established. God says, I got a word I want to say to Strong Tower. I'm going to say it through your bride and I'm going to say it through your lips of clay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, you can't get no higher than that, did not consider it a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, even the death of the cross. Good news. He came down to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. Coming down 
no reputation. He condescended. He came lower than low, born in poverty to reach poor folks. Lived a life of obscurity. He didn't stand out above everybody else. That's why when they said when we arrest him, identify him with a kiss because he looks like everybody else. He came down to die on the cross, a death of a criminal who did no wrong, who committed no sin, but he died like a sinner. He died like a criminal because he was dying in the place of we criminals, we sinners, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us near to God. Mm -mm. But it just doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. He's on the cross. He's on the cross. He's on the cross. Matthew chapter 27. He's on the cross. He's on the cross. The devil did not want Jesus to go to the cross because on the cross he would be defeated. A death blow would be rendered to the head of the serpent if he could get Jesus to get away from the cross. So even Peter says, Lord, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I've got a mission to accomplish. And even in the Garden of Eden, he's struggling the spiritual uh, temptation and the trials and the tests. And he says, Lord, if we can do this without me drinking this cup, uh, uh, Lord, Lord, let it be done, but not my will, your will be done. And the Father said, you've got to go because you were slain from the foundation of the world. You've got to do in time what was determined in eternity you've got to go through with the mission and Jesus said I will submit as the servant to my father I am a bond slave to him and I will go even when I don't want to go in my humanity because those nails gonna hurt we ain't gonna over spiritualize it and, and no the whipping the beating the, the spitting in my face I don't, I'm not excited about that how many times has God called you to do something that you don't feel like doing because they're going to mistreat you. They're going to misunderstand you. But when you walk by faith and you go and do what you're supposed to do and you are obedient in that situation, there's a resurrection that's coming. I didn't even read the rest of Philippians. Didn't have to because you know the rest of the story. So if you're suffering now, you're going through something hard now, hey, hey, there's going to be a resurrection. And if nothing else, he's going to wipe the tears away when you get there. So, man, keep your eyes on him. Don't worry about these folks. They're going to always be there. And Jesus jumped in the flesh to show you how to do it. But he's up on the cross. He's up on the cross. And what do the people say? Matthew 27, beginning at verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So they said, if you just come down, we'll believe you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
If you didn't believe me when I raised Lazarus from the dead, if you didn't believe me when I fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, if you didn't believe me when I gave Barnabas his sight, if you didn't believe me when I preached and turned over the tables in the temple, if you didn't believe me then, you ain't going to believe me if I come off this cross. Believe me, I could call angels and ask my father, would you send some angels and get me up out of here? But I'm not going to do that because I must endure the cross, despise the shame, because one day I'm going to sit down on the right hand of my father. Just a few days I'm going to be there. So he hung in there. But dig this, the God who comes down would not come down off the cross. You better get that. If you don't get nothing else for you, go home. He comes down. He comes down. He comes down. He came down on that cross. And when the people said, get off the cross, come down, he says, no, I'm not coming down because if I come down off this cross, then all is lost. So the God who comes down said, I'm not coming down for this because I came down here for this. You see, Jesus, in verse 43, he said that he was the son of God. Jesus said that he was God. Nobody believed. That's why they crucified him and made him bleed. They mocked him and beat him, just like you heard. But Jesus Christ, my Lord, he never said one word. Because he knew he had to die so that we could live. And the life of God is what he did give. They nailed him to the cross by his hands and feet. For six hours he hung, nothing to drink or eat. They plucked out his beard and gave him a thorn crown. And from that cross, Jesus wouldn't come down. He could have freed himself anytime he liked. But he stayed up on the cross and didn't put up a fight. Because if Christ came off the cross, we'd be lost. We'd go straight to hell where the devil's the boss. But since he didn't come down, we got a choice to accept or reject. Speak up. You got a voice. Christ will be rewarded and hell can be afforded. Because Christ endured it. His blood insured it. And when he gave up the ghost and finally died, they put his body in a tomb and a rock outside. And three days later, and three days later, and three days later, yo, guess what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. That's why I'm rapping what news could be better. It sounds so sweet, but you still might reject him and try to retreat and go back home to all your clothes and your money and think you got it made and every day is sunny, but it won't go forever like that, my friend, because one day you will confess your knees will bend because God is real and he's alive today. My prayers, you will take him when you go on your way. The young people inspired me today. <laughs> the young people inspired me today. He didn't come down, which means you don't have to quit. The cross he gave you to carry, you don't have to quit and give up. You can endure. You can make it because he made it and he made it for you. He set an example for you and he also put power in you. You can make it. You don't have to believe the lie of suicide. You can make it. You don't have to quit your marriage, quit your job, quit the church. You can make it. Because he made it for you. But after he died, they did take his body down. And they put his body in a tomb. And three days later, yes, he resurrected. He ascended. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angel said, why y'all looking up to heaven like that? This same Jesus who went up will one day come back down. The same Jesus. He ain't sending a representative. He's coming himself. He went up and he's coming back down. But it doesn't end there because this Jesus is going to come down in the rapture of the church. And when he comes down, and we don't know when, 
He's going to stop in the middle of the air. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up or raptured to meet the Lord in the air. And there we will be with the Lord. Not in the air, but we're going to be with the Lord forever. Oh, my goodness. He's coming back in the rapture. But then he's coming back in the revelation where his feet will hit the earth. And the Bible says in Revelation 1-7, every eye is going to see him. The book of Zechariah chapter 14 says that when he comes on the earth, he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and the mountain will be split in two. I told you a few weeks ago when Christ comes back, he's riding on a white horse. Well, if he's riding on a white horse, how does his feet hit the Mount of Olives? He's going to dismount off that white horse and come down with all power and authority. And the weight of his glory is going to cause the earth to shake and tremble and the mountain is going to split. He's coming back again and his feet are going to land on the earth. Every eye will see him. And then he's going to come down through the millennium kingdom where he will reign on this earth for a thousand years. Satan will be cast into a bottomless pit. I believe the book of Revelation. I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus reigns. And guess what? When we talk about this in weeks to come, we're going to reign with him. He's going to give us authority and territories over angels and things. We're going to reign with him in this life, on this earth rather. But there's going to come a time he's going to destroy this earth because it's his. And he's going to make a new earth out of the ashes. And on that new earth, he's going to come down. He's the God who comes down. So he came down so that we could go up. And since he has come down, I need to ask you as I finish this message, why are we so down? Why do we get so down? I mean, he, he came down out of love. The rich became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich and go up with God. He came down. Why? Why do I get so down sometimes? Because I'm looking too much at stuff that's seen and not enough at who is unseen. The Bible says in Hebrews that Moses persevered because he saw him who was invisible. How do you see him who is invisible? We walk by faith and not by sight. God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. He's invisible but very, very present. So if you're feeling down, cheer up. If you're falling down, get up. If you're falling asleep, wake up. If you want revival, pray up. If you call on God, believe he'll show up. If you know God's on your side, it's time to stand up. If you're still making excuses, Grow up. If you know you messed up, fess up. If you're tired of being fed up, man up. If you haven't joined God's army yet, sign up. If you aren't a member of a local church, join up. If you need the living water, drink up. If you need the bread of life, eat up. If you don't know the Bible, read up. If you can't defend your faith, study up. If the devil is messing with you, tell him, back up. If you're ready for Christ to return, look up. And if you believe Jesus was raised up, giving you the salvation, a hook up, I dare you to send the praise up. Somebody got it give up the glory to God. I get down, but I can't stay down because I know a God who came down. Remain standing. If there's someone here today and you want to talk to me about what it means to know this God, man, you could pray right now where you are. Jesus, come into my life. 
Jesus, be my Savior. Lord, I repent. I give my life to you. I believe you died for me on the cross and you rose again. Just say from your heart to God's heart, Lord, save me. And if that was your prayer today, come meet me down front so I can rejoice with you and the angels in heaven. If you say, I need a church, I want a church, I need to be in a sheep fold with good sheep and good leaders under the good shepherd Jesus, come on, come talk to me. This may be the church for you. But if there's somebody here and you know the Lord and you're part of this church and you've been struggling like we all do, I just remind you, he came down to lift you up. So I'm encouraging you, man, stay up. Stay up. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, God. Thank you that your son came down, and thank you that he didn't come down off the cross. Lord, I tried to preach it and wrap it as best I could. And I thank you, Lord, that your word does not return void. Your word is ministering to your people. We're being encouraged that you would think so high of us that you would make yourself so low among us. It's amazing. Oh, God, thank you for the songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we do our best to just sing and articulate our thanksgiving and our praise and adoration of you for coming down. You are amazing. You're amazing. And now, Jesus, as we leave out of this place, but never from your presence, help us to take this word out to people who are lost, people who need to know about a God who comes down and who defends those who are being mistreated in our courts, who stands with the downtrodden, who feeds the hungry, who clothes the naked, who visits those in prison. Dear Lord, you're near those who are in the gutter. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. But not only that, you raise us up. Not to the place where we belong, but to the place where you are. You lift us up. We don't belong up there. But you made a way for us to go because you said your son is the door of heaven. He's the way to you. He's the ladder, the incarnate ladder of Jacob. Oh, God, this is the gospel. And it's not only good enough and necessary to save us, but, Lord, it's powerful enough to keep us with our minds stayed on you. Bless your people as they go. Remind them of the victory that they have, not because of anything they've done, but all because of what you've done. They're on the winning team because you chose them to choose you. We're on the winning team. So let us live like it. Encourage those who are discouraged. Be with those who feel alone. Remind them that you're Emmanuel. You're a very present help in time of trouble. Be with that single mom, that single dad, who's wondering how they're going to make ends meet this week. Show them your power, that you're with them, that you have never failed. You will not forsake them. And be with this church. Show us your assignment. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people say, amen. As you hug somebody, tell them to stay up. When you hug somebody, say, stay up now. Stay up now. Stay up. Stay up. Stay up. Stay up. Don't get down. Don't stay down. Stay up. Come on. Bless somebody.